Amen, ladies. That was such a blessing. Man, both those ladies, when they sing, they're gifted, but their hearts are just so good too. Man, I just love to hear them sing. Uh, you know, you have these thoughts that go through your mind, tend to be thought for the week or thought for the month or whatever. My thought for the past week or two has been this. Who is the audience? Now, I I just want that to sink in a little bit for you. Who is the audience? We come to church. We have all these distractions that are pushing uh, our, our thoughts away, you know, what are we going to do once we get out of here? Uh, what's happening at our workplace? Uh, what's happening in our families? Um, what is this crisis that we're dealing with? And, you know, all these distractions, they push against us and we forget. Who is the audience? Who is here that's watching? It, it, you know, I'm up here, is it you guys that are out there that are watching? Not ultimately. Yeah, God is the audience. And and I just want you to think about that as we continue on in worship. That what you do as you sing, as you you know, as you give, as you pray, uh, as we are opening up the Word of God, that He is the audience. He is the one that we're giving ourselves to during this hour. He is the one. And I want to start. You know, I said I was going to do this sometime. I hadn't been doing it. That little phrase, I love it, where they say, God is good, and then response is, all the time. I won't start doing that more. Let's try that maybe twice here before I read the scripture and jump in the message. You ready? God is good. Let's try it two more times. We can get a little louder like that. God is good. All right, pump it up one more time. God is good. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. That's good. First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going on looking at this young church and have entitled this series Dynamic Ministry. And we want to be in love with Jesus and and just letting it leak out of our lives. And this morning we've come to a section of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, that describe the return of Jesus. One secret behind the advancement of this young church of the dynamic ministry was that they had a yearning for Jesus to return. And we want to look at that this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. I'm going to ask you when you find that section of Scripture, stand in God's honor as I, as I read aloud. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Let's pray. Master, as we come before you, This is a crazy world we live in. And at times, God, it's just such a foreign place. And 
It's no wonder because it really is a foreign place. This is not my home. I'm not just a passing through, as the old gospel song says. And Lord, you're coming back to get me. And all of us, Lord, who are your kids? I pray this morning, God, that you might speak. Lord, give me a confidence that I'm able to speak under the inspiration of your Spirit. Father, may there be a sense of conviction of your Spirit. Lord, that you grab a hold of our hearts and squeeze. And that there might be a clarity that my words wouldn't, Lord, be disconnected. But it would be clear. Father, that there would be a courage to just speak what you want, Lord, us to hear. And God, we just trust you as we just want to continue on in this time to worship you. For, oh Master, you're the audience. In your name we pray. Amen. Years ago, there was a popular bumper sticker that said, In case of rapture, look out for unmanned cars. Man! It could be pretty rough. Cars going down the interstate. You imagine going down the interstate and you're got these cars and no drivers. There's coming a day. It says we're not appointed unto wrath. We've been saved. God in His mercy has covered us. I love that verse for Christ died and you're now hidden. <laughs> hidden in Him. God doesn't look at us and see our mess. He sees Jesus who, who covers us. And He's coming back for us. He's, he, he's returning. I mean, what a hope. Uh, I think when I was in college, there was a buddy of mine named Charles. And man, Charles was the serious student. He was studying accounting, and I remember there was this one really pretty girl that liked him, and he just decided that, man, if I, if I mess with her, I'm gonna do my school. So he just told her he couldn't see her till, you know, he said, I don't have time, I gotta do my school. Oh man, phew, this guy's focused! And he, he was kinda quiet, but he was a focused guy. And, uh, he was a, he was a believer. He was from a Nazarene background, and he told me his story. He said, that was back when they had those movies about the rapture. Remember those old movies, any of you guys? You know, it's kind of scary stuff. Rapture came, some people were left. And he thought, man, he'd just seen one of those movies at church with the youth. He had it home. And as he's driving home, the roads were empty. Nobody on the road. He started thinking, man, you know, what if the rapture's happened and I was left? He stopped at a little convenience store, went in, thought he'd get him something to drink. There was nobody there. He walked around, he looked in the house for somebody. He looked for a clerk, you know, somebody to help him behind the register. He couldn't find anybody and then he really got to thinking, what if, what if? Got back in the car, he, he headed home, still saw nobody on the road. He came in his house, didn't see anybody. So he yelled out, anybody home? Didn't hear anything. He said, man, what is going on? Went outside. Walked around the house. Didn't see anybody. Walked around, looked in the shed. Didn't see anybody. Knocked on the neighbor's door. Nobody home. Knocked on the other neighbor's door. Nobody there. And he got in the house. Got right on the floor on his knees and said, Lord, don't leave me. Forgive me. I need Jesus. About that time, his mom who had been uh, walking around the neighborhood came in and said, Charles, what's going on with you? He said, man, I thought I got left. 
There is coming a day. You know, those famous series of books left behind. Man, nothing is worse than missing Jesus. Than missing Jesus. You know, um, there's a lot of powerful governments and uh, I'm, I'm all for, you know, man, I'm an American. I believe in, in a lot of what we do, capitalism, all that stuff. I know in our government you've got Republicans and Democrats and, you know, other parties in, in government. But it's not going to be one of those. When it gets right down to it, I'm a theocrat. When it gets right down to it, God is the one who's going to have to step in to bring healing that is so desperately needed. Jesus promised to come back. Uh, John 14, first three verses says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. A few months after World War II began, General MacArthur was in the Philippines and he left. And many said, man, he's, he's a coward. He's retreating. But he said when he left, he said, I'll be back. Three years later, he stood on the soil of the Philippines and he said, I have returned. Jesus told his disciples that he was leaving, but he would leave a comforter for them and that he would return. And guys, you can count on it. Our Lord is coming back. And I want to just look this morning at the Scripture. We're going to look at His return, His resurrection, His rapture, and the reunion that awaits us. First, let's look at His return in verse 16. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Guys, it's the Lord Himself. It's His physical presence. He's, he's coming in bodily form. He's returning. He's not going to come, um, you know, on a tortilla where you see the face of Jesus. It's not going to be like that. Or where, you know, uh, water forms on the sidewalk and you see the face of Jesus. It's going to be our Lord in His physical bodily Presence, not just some ideal, not just some mystical force, but Jesus. And he, He's going to return. And, and there's a difference between the second coming where He actually steps down and everyone sees Him, and between this concept of the rapture where He brings His kids up to meet Him in the air. And a difference in that return. The word actually talks about a, a military command where it says that trumpet will sound where a general returns for the troops. Listen, this is from uh, Matthew 24, words of Jesus. He says, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and He will send His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds, Four winds from one end of the heavens 
to the other. That's the second coming. You, you see, in the rapture coming a twinkling of an eye. It will happen quickly. But the second coming, every eye will see. I also believe Jesus will be clearly seen and, and they'll know He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords and, and guys, He is in charge. I, I love the story. Uh, back in England, uh, Queen Victoria heard a message on the second coming and she got so fired up that they said that uh, at the end of the message, she stood up and she shouted, I can't wait for Jesus to come back! Of course, everybody's like, what? And this is the Queen. And... Uh, one of the servants said, uh, uh, why, my lady? And she said, because it would be just so awesome to place my crown at his feet. Isn't that cool? He's coming back. Now, resurrection of the body. Uh, he speaks about that resurrection. Uh, look in the Scripture here. Um, we, we see that those who are still alive left to meet Him in the air. And, and they were concerned in those days at early church about those who had already faced death. They were worried about seeing them again. They were worried about their loved ones missing the return of Jesus Christ. Paul speaks to them and he knows their hearts. He, he knows their suffering as they want their loved ones who have already died to share with them the the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ. And the Greeks in that day, they thought it was, they thought this idea of the resurrection was dumb. They thought you wanted to escape your body, that it, it was a place that imprisoned you and you need to be set free. But that's not the teaching of Jesus. That's not the teaching of the scriptures that Jesus will rise, that raise the dead. That He will resurrect them, that although they appear asleep, they will have new life. And as a, as a seed must die and is placed in the ground, so it, there is life. And it, it grows, it comes through the ground and, and it flowers. Now listen to this from 1 Corinthians 15. It says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual the first man was of the dust of the earth, and the second man from heaven. As so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. The seed dies and then comes back to life. Guys, there is death that is faced, but Jesus promised us as He was raised from the dead, so too shall we be. Raised. Man, what an awesome promise. You know, I heard a story of a young preacher that was doing a funeral. He'd never done a funeral before. And he got nervous. You know, the body was down there in front of him as he was speaking. And he says, Down here, our brother is. Down here, as you look at him, remains the shell. The nut is already gone. To be absent from the body. Is to be with the Lord. But that doesn't mean that our bodies don't have a purpose. There will be a resurrection and, and we'll be whole. And, and man, um, 
you know, there'll be no more wheelchairs. There'll be no more handicaps. There'll be no more failing vision or, or hearing. We'll be whole. And we'll be more alive than ever before. God will take us and, and He'll, He'll renew us. And, and what an awesome thought. Uh, Michael Faraday, who was a chemist, his assistant one day accidentally dropped some silver into a beaker of acid. The silver dissolved itself. Faraday came by and he put some kind of chemical into the beaker and the silver reformed itself. Silver was taken out, it was cleaned up, and it was refashioned by a silversmith into something beautiful. God, He, he will take these bodies and, and He will refashion them to be what they are meant to be. Guys, that's coming. Now let's look at the rapture of the church. Verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And there's some people that really get caught up on the fact that the word rapture is not specifically in the Bible. But the concept is... Uh, This term caught up is used 13 different times in the New Testament. Uh, Three times, it literally says caught up. Four, it's uh, catch up. Three times, it's translated to take by force. Two times, to catch away. Two times, to pluck or pull. One time, merely to catch. And one time, to pull. But in each of these instances, there is this idea of being caught up. Listen to Kenneth Weiss' translation, who's a Greek scholar. I like the way he translates this. He says, For this we are saying to you by the Lord's word, that is, for us who are living and are left behind until the coming of the Lord, we shall by no means precede those who fall asleep. Because the Lord Himself, with a cry of a command, with an archangel's voice, and with a call of a trumpet sounded at God's command, shall descend from heaven. And the dead in Christ shall be raised first. Then as for us who are living and who are left behind, together with them we shall be snatched away forcibly in masses of saints having the appearance of clouds for a welcome meeting with the Lord in the lower atmosphere. And thus always be with the Lord. Man, what a translation. Another meaning of this that He will rescue us from danger. Man, all the threats and the junk around here, we're taken up, you know, that's no more. The, the, the struggle, He takes the struggle away as, as we're made alive and, and safe with Him. Made really whole, really alive. Uh, her story of an Amish man and his son who uh, went with some friends into the city. Uh, they had never been off of their farm. They'd never been in the city. And, they wanted to be gracious. They didn't want to come across as being rude to their friends who invited them. So they went with them, and the man and his son went down through town, and they were just looking everywhere, just total astonishment. They went in this one building, and they were really amazed at these two shiny doors that kept opening and closing, and opening and closing. They thought, wow. And they saw this dial that would move up and down. And uh, it was just amazing. This lady, elderly lady in a wheelchair came. The doors opened up. She went into the elevator. They watched it go up. They waited. A little bit later, the elevator came down. Man, out walked this beautiful woman. 
young woman. I mean, she was... And uh, that Amish guy, he goes, Junior, go get Mama. (laughs) He saw a change. (laughs) In the twinkling of an eye, there will be a change of not just one. There will be a change of all who are in Christ. Who are grafted into Jesus Christ through the finished work that He accomplished at Calvary. You know, as, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, what could be worse than the future of an unbeliever? I mean, think about it. If you don't have Jesus, all you have to look toward is the past. And sometimes the past isn't always good. But we who are in Christ are able to look toward the future, to be with the one who loves us, the one who made us, and the one who fully, completely, guys, knows us. And we can trust Him. It leads us to the last part here. Um, there'll be a reunion. Notice in verse uh, 17, it says, We'll be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. That is just such a precious thought. Because if you live long enough, somebody you love precedes you to be with the Lord and you miss them. I won't take time, but there are some people I miss. And you know what's cool is it's never goodbye, but until we meet again. And we will see them again. There is the promise of a reunion. You know, there's questions that are asked all the time. And I love it when they ask Spurgeon, the preacher in England. He said, when we get to heaven, said, will we recognize each other up there? You know, everybody worries about that. You know, well, I recognize this one, that one. I love Spurgeon's response. Spurgeon said, I said, well, he said, do you think we'll be stupider up there than we are down here? We recognize each other down here, don't we? We'll know each other there. It'll be a grand reunion. It'll be, it'll be a, man, it'll be what it's supposed to be, what we long for. Remember when uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mount, known in our Bibles as the Mount of Transfiguration, and they saw Moses and Elijah and they recognized them. Wasn't a question like, Jesus, who are those guys glowing over there? <laughs> they knew exactly who they were. There'll be a knowing. There'll be a resurrection. I, I want to close with a, I'm just going to read it. Uh, I found as I was studying one preacher's rendition of the glory of the resurrection. I just want to share his thoughts here. I, I don't even know it. Uh, which I should have, but I didn't even write down the name. I just saw that and jumped with it, so it's not original with me from another brother. It says, you're leaving the church building. The funeral's over. The burial's next. It is now on to the graveyard. Ahead of you walk six men who carry the coffin that carries the body of your son. Your only son. You are numb from the sorrow 
You were stunned. You lost your husband in death some time ago, and now you have lost your son. You have no more family. If you had any more tears, you would weep. If you had any more faith, you would pray. But both tears and faith are in short supplies, so you do neither. You just stare at the back of the wooden casket in front of you. (laughs) Suddenly, suddenly it stops. The pallbearers have stopped. You stop. A man has stepped in front of the casket. You don't even know him. You've never seen him before. He wasn't at the funeral. You have no idea who he is. You have no idea what he's doing. But before you can object, he steps up to you. And with a look that overflows with compassion, he says, Don't cry. You think to yourself, Don't cry. Don't cry. This is a funeral. My son is dead. You say, Don't cry. Who are you to tell me not to cry? Those are your thoughts. But they never become your words. Because before you can speak, he acts. He turns and he looks to the coffin places his hand on it and says in a loud voice, Young man, get up! One of the pallbearers begins to object. (laughs) But before he can speak, there is a sudden movement in the casket. The men look at one another and quickly lower the casket to the ground. It's a good thing they do because as soon as it touches the sidewalk, the lid slowly opens. Does this sound like something out of a science fiction novel to you? It's out of the Gospel of Luke. Luke 7, 14 and 15. You know why Jesus... Doesn't, you want to know what Jesus did at a funeral? He kept breaking up funerals. Every time He'd show up, people kept rising up. It's the way He worked. Anyway, it says, Jesus walked over the coffin and touched it. The pallbearer stopped. Jesus said, young man, get up. And the boy sat up and began to talk to those around him. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. The dead boy sat up and began to talk. Dead people don't sit up. Dead people don't talk. Dead people don't leave their coffins. Unless, unless Jesus shows up. When Jesus shows up, you never know what might happen. Do you know what Jesus did at the tomb of Lazarus? Jesus wept. Then He said, roll the stone aside. When the crowd acted in obedience to His command, Jesus stood face to face with the rock hewn tomb and demanded that it release his friend. With a loud voice he cried out, Lazarus, come out. Deep within the tomb, Lazarus began to move. His stilled heart began to beat again. And he sat up. The gospel writer records, Lazarus came out. Lazarus came out of the grave alive. Please, please understand, Jesus didn't raise the dead for the sake of the dead. I heard Billy Graham once say, that the reason Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus was because he was about to call Lazarus back to live a little longer here on this earth. Jesus didn't raise the dead for the sake of the dead. Jesus raised the dead for the sake of the living. He did it to show us that He is in fact Lord. What kind of Lord is He? He's the Lord who holds the keys of life and the death. He is Lord. My friends, He is the Lord who will walk with me and you through the valley of the shadow of death. He is the Lord you and I want to have present at our funeral. He will do it again and again and again. See, that's our hope, guys. Uh, in First Thessalonians 4.16, we're told that the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. <laughs> he closes, He says... 
That same voice that awoke the boy who laid in a casket. That same voice that stirred the still daughter of Jairus. That same voice that awakened the corpse of Lazarus. That same voice will speak again. The earth and the sea will give up their dead. There will be no more death, neither sickness nor crying. It's a coming. (laughs) It's a coming. Are you ready? Father, uh, the comfort of His coming. But if we have not done business with You, the Redeemer, the One who forgives, it's not a time of comfort. It's a time of condemnation. Oh, Master, may that not occur amongst those here. I, I just pray that You grab a hold of our hearts, God, that we do business with You, the living God. and Lord, that we let Your Spirit continue to speak and that we obey. What do you want of us, Master? Help us not say no, but say yes. I believe you've spoken, Lord. Now the ball's in our court. Oh, Master, grab hold of us. Bring us to obedience. Oh, Lord, you're the answer. We need you, Lord. Without you, we're without hope. Without resurrection, there's only a grave. You are the resurrected one. You promised to raise up those in you. Oh, Master, thank you. Oh, Master, draw us unto you. In your name we pray. Amen.